Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And of course, I'm not alone. I'm joined tonight by Mike, but we also have two very special guests over from the Two True Freaks Network from Back to the Bins Avengers Spotlight. We have on the call Paul Spatero and Scott H. Gardner. Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, Hello. Everything's good. Thanks for having us on. Cool. So, so normally, I guess if 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 you have been listening to this show, you probably know our routine. But if you're a first time listener, what we normally like to do is this is a chronological coverage of the Thunderbolt series, and we started from the very beginning. We actually kind of started way back, even before issue one. We started with the negative one flashback issue, is what we ended up starting with. But we went from there all the way up to the current issue that we're on now, which is Thunderbolts eleven, and then what we like to do on the back half of the show is usually cover a related or historical issue. So we'll go ahead and we'll start off with Thunderbolts 11 and it's it's kind of exciting because there's lots of crossovers and guest stars and that's why we figured it'd be fun to have Scott and Paul on the show with us to embellish the wonder of the the crossover event that is Thunderbolts 11. But Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us the synopsis for Thunderbolts 11 and then we'll all discuss what we thought of it. Okie dokie, uh, Thunderbolts 11, with a cover date of February 1998, written by Kurt Busick, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Vince Russell, colors by Joe Rosas, letters by Dave Lamphere, and edited by Tom Brevoort. And the title of this story is Anakin Skywalker's One Weakness Aside from Sand, The High Ground. Across the world, the militaries of every nation have been enslaved by Baron Zemo's biomodem and rise up to seize control of their respective governments. The Avengers and the Fantastic Four are trying to locate Zemo's satellite headquarters with little success. Aboard the satellite, the stowaway Jolt is still coming to terms with the fact that her former Thunderbolts teammates are in fact the masters of evil. She watches from an air duct as Mach 1 and Songbird express their doubts in Zemo's plan and their wish that they could have just kept going along with the Thunderbolts' heroic charade. Meteorite preys on Mach 1's doubts 
as Jolt sneaks away to check on Zemo and Techno. In the Satellite's command center, Zemo and Techno enjoy a good expository gloat over how they've taken over the entire world with the bio mode. Techno lets Zemo address the world at large to issue his demands, and the country of Carnelia attempts to lock onto the broadcast signal and fire missiles at it. However, Techno already has control of their missiles, and they simply explode without ever being fired. In New York, the mayor's office receives a video call from Atlas, who is desperate to talk to Dallas Riordan and apologize, but she tearfully rejects him. Techno cuts off the call, and Zemo reprimands Atlas for risking their security over a woman. Watching the scene, Jolt realizes that if she disables the satellite's cloaking module, then perhaps someone will be able to locate and stop Zemo. Jolt heads back to confront the other T-Bolts, who are still wallowing in self-doubt over their part in Zemo's plan. She reveals herself and expresses her confidence that Abe, Melissa, and Eric aren't the villains they're made out to be and that they should help her. Meteorite is now keen on stopping Zemo, but Jolt calls her out for being a manipulator who is only out for her own game. Before the discussion can go any further, Zemo and Techno enter the room and Zemo orders Atlas to his side, which Eric does unquestioningly. Declaring them traitors, Zemo activates an agonizer, which electrocutes Mach 1, Songbird, Meteorite, and Jolt. Meteorite reveals she had anticipated such a move and had Mach 1 rig up a jammer for the device. Unswayed, Zemo orders Techno and Atlas to kill the mutineers, much to Songbird's shock. The two factions of T-Bolts fight, and in the confusion, Jolt at least manages to slip away and wreck the satellite's cloaking module. Unfortunately, Mach 1, Songbird, and Jolt are defeated by Techno and Atlas, leaving only Meteorite to stand against Zemo. Enraged, she surges against an energy blast from Techno, but everyone is interrupted when a nearby wall explodes. The smoke clears and reveals the Avengers and Fantastic Four have arrived on the satellite, and Meteorite smugly believes that Zemo's plans are over with. However, Zemo merely reveals that the assembled superheroes were all brainwashed by the biomodem upon their approach and are now completely under his control. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is a pretty important issue for me because this is actually this is like the newest issue I ever picked up off the shelf. Like because. I I caught up with T-Bolts at issue 10 and then 10 and 11 were basically the the, the f first like new issues I bought where I was like caught up to like current when I was a kid. So like this is this this and the previous issue are pretty like imp like important to me, like sentimental to me and like I I guess I came in right at like, you know, the the climax of the original like sort of 12 issue plot so like yeah I, I, i'm a big fan of this issue i think like the t-bolts battle is awesome I, you know i, I think Z zemo is one of my favorite super villains ever so i think he's kind of in his element here yeah it's just good stuff all around but like i'll, I'll pass it off to derek like what what about you i mean i i like this issue a lot i i sort of explain this almost every episode we talk about but i i was unaware of the the twist you know that that all these characters 
were the masters of evil and i read about it i think probably in wizard or something like that something spoiled it and and i i think this and the mark wade kazar book that was coming out at the time i was i was pretty disenfranchised with marvel i had kind of exacerbated all my patience with the clone saga and different things like that so i had sort of sworn off marvel books at the time but these were i i think the the kazar book and this thunderbolt series were two books that came highly recommended. So I I think maybe it was around like issue four or five or whatever. And I sort of went to a store where they actually had a bunch of them. You know, it was on the rack, but they, they had the older issues. You know, there'd be a big stack of comics and it would be like issue four was the latest issue, but they'd have three and two and one behind that big stack. So I was able to kind of catch up fairly quickly and everything. So at this point, I think kind of like Mike, I was buying the individual issues in real time. I think for me, this is definitely the climax. Like I, I, I don't think I'll be able to say I was buying these off the stands for much longer in the episodes. Cause I think maybe maybe four or five months from now, like a lot of these will either be new reads to me or they will be issues that I read as either, you know, cheap back issues or something along those lines. I love seeing Cap in here because it's it, it's a good writing tool, like I think, because he he is he is very reassuring in the opening sequence. So it makes the ending a real nice twist because the setup to that is how you know he's kind of like it's going to be fine we're all going to team up we're going to take care of this and so you think when the two-page splash comes in and you see all that conglomeration the avengers and the ff all paired up together you think oh man zemo's in for it now like moonstone held out and and now you know she's gonna she's gonna get uh you know kind of the cavalry has arrived and, and everything's going to be okay. And then they immediately flip that on its head with the next page where it's like, aha, you thought you had fooled me, but then you did not, you know, and it's like Zemo's kind of like, again, in his element and everything like that. I did think it was funny. It's on, I'm trying to remember what page it's on. Let's see. When all the people are watching TV, for me, it's like page seven or whatever, but there, you know, it's, it's when Zemo's basically standing in front of the, the video camera that Techno makes and, and Techno's trying to look to get praise for it. And he's kind of like, yes, yes, Techno, very impressive. Just get on with it. You know, like, and he just wants to be filmed when he's in front of the TV screen. All I could think of is the little kid has an Atlas figure and I'm kind of like, there's the Marvel legend that we need of Atlas, you know, to help build the Thunderbolts team or whatever. <laughs> so there, there he is. And then I thought it was an interesting choice like that. You, you, you would think because Jolt's the one appealing to the people that she thinks are going to be most amenable to, I guess, retain their, their hero identities or maybe, you know, betray Zemo. And, and the people she targets are, you know, Songbird, and you know Mach One and and Atlas, but I I do find it interesting that you know because because you know you're always weary of Moonstone, right? She's always trying to manipulate people, and she's not quite that trustworthy. But I thought it was an interesting choice that like they they decide Atlas is the one who's going to stay loyal to Zemo, and Moonstone's the one who fights Zemo to the bitter end to this last page. So I thought that was. That was a pretty interesting thing. But how about our guests? Like, what? I guess, do you, do you guys have, like, origin stories as far as Thunderbolts that you want to share with people? And, and maybe specifically, I guess, you know, of course, what, what did you think of this issue in particular? 
Well, I, I was on the Thunderbolts wagon from the start. I had picked up the first appearance in the Hulk issue, and I thought, oh, that, you know, that's interesting. And then the series started, and, you know, the first pa- first issue had the reveal of the Masters of Evil. So that was a great hook, I thought, and, you know, it pulled me along. And I, I stayed with it for quite a while, but eventually it got to the point, like, I think so many books when you get the collector's mentality where I was still purchasing them, but kind of had given up on even reading them. So, you know, but it was well, well past this by that time. This issue, you know, I, I was reading it at the time and I don't like I do remember that I read it. And as I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah OK, I remember this happening. and I remember that happening. But there was nothing that I actually like. The twist at the end, I didn't remember until I got to it again. So that was kind of cool because I got to be fooled by it twice. It's one of the nice things about getting old. But, you know, 22 years have passed. The thing that struck me about this issue is how very 90s the art looks to me now. And it really didn't at the time. I, I am a fan of Mark Bagley. I like his artwork. He has a tendency to be a little angular on his renditions for what's his name vince russell who i'm not familiar with like he seemed to to really run with that and and make it even more stark in my opinion so it's not really really good mark bagley that i you know that i would normally be reading but it's still you know it still has its its moments but i i just think i think it suffers for the inking a little bit you mentioned techno and the way he just goes on and on i think that's a great exposition tool because every time you want to explain what's going on, you could just have exposition. Uh, you could have Techno go on one of his exposition rants, and it makes total sense. So, you know, this, this, I think it's a well-written story. I think for the most part, the art is decent, even though I think it could be better. And I really enjoyed this one. How about you, Scott? Do you have, like, a Thunderbolts origin or <laughs> stuff you want to talk about? So... I I have been thinking about my, because I anticipated this question, so I've been thinking about my Thunderbolts origin story for for quite a while, trying to kind of get it straight in my head, and and here's the best I can come up with. I, I can't remember exactly when... I got into the Thunderbolts. I, I can tell you it was well past everything. It was well past all the hype. It was past all the reveals. It was past all the spoilers. So I knew going in who they were. If I remember properly, I, I think what happened was back during this time, I, I bought, I used to buy collections wholesale. I'd just buy like an entire collection from somebody. And somewhere along the line, I bought a collection that had. I believe it was pretty much a complete run of Thunderbolts up to where they were in their publishing. Like the series was still coming out. And I want to say it was up through about issue issue 50, because I remember 50, if memory serves, was I don't want to spoil ahead for your listeners because I, I don't know what your narrative is. But there's a big thing that happens in issue 50. And I remember that being part of the lot. And that was kind of the impetus for me to to even sit down and start reading. Because typically what happens with me is I buy comics, they get bagged, they get boarded, they go in a box, and I forget they exist. And I never actually get around to reading them. But with this, uh, I was intrigued by, by what happened in 50. And so I wanted to get to that point. So I, I thought, all right, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll see what this is all about and see if I like it. And it instantly sucked me right in. I really enjoyed this. And... You know, it, it's like Paul said, I, you know, I had fond memories of it, but it was kind of vague in my mind. And as soon as I started reading this, I'm like, you know, I, I, I need to tout this series more often for all those people that 
that want to bash the 90s and say that, you know, the, the 90s was all crap and nothing ever good came out of the 90s. Well, here you go. This is a great book that came out of the 90s. And I really enjoyed it. So reading this issue again, you know, this is like getting a visit from an old friend you hadn't seen in a long time because things immediately started coming back to me like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, the, you know, each each page and each chapter of it was like, oh, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, yeah, this guy. And uh, and one of the things I really liked about the Thunderbolts was that with with very few exceptions, all the characters were really interesting. You know, they they were they were fully formed characters you know that they were three-dimensional and they all had interesting backstories and and different personalities and you know there were people you gravitated towards because you really liked them and you wanted to see them and i wanted to see what happened to them i i got really invested into the characters because you know some of them I, I wanted to see them continue and and hopefully do the right thing and and become that hero that it seemed like they they kind of wanted to be or that they were headed towards being and then there were other ones that were just completely despicable and then you you had at least like with Moonstone, for example, she kind of straddled that line. It's like sometimes she seemed like she wanted to be good, and then other times she seemed like she really rel you know, relished being evil. And it was it was like you never really knew where she was. She she was scheming and manipulative one minute, and then it seemed like she kind of wanted to be the hero. And so I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. And and you know, for me as well, Zemo's one of my absolutely favorite Marvel villains, especially this Zemo, you know, the son of Zemo. I, I find him more interesting actually than his father. So yeah, I, he's, I, more, he's more two dimensional than his, or three dimensional than his. Three dimensional, father. yeah. Yeah, his yeah. father's really like I, one dimensional. I think it says yeah. something that like his father never really came back, like after like you know Helmet. Like helmet is is like the Zemo that people know now, thanks to the movies, especially. So right, yeah. Other than right. the uh, you know raising the dead kind of stories that they did a couple of times, yeah. yeah. You know, otherwise we yeah. never saw him again. I think you know you you mentioned Moonstone, and I would I would hit on. I think her characterization is that the only one Moonstone is really loyal to is Moonstone. She, she. I don't think she ever wanted to be a hero. I think she just always was an opportunist. Whenever it served her purposes to be a hero, she would. But, you know, the same thing for being a villain. Well, so I think she would be the well, one you'd have to most carefully manipulate. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I know that she gets in a in a relationship later on in the series with a, a character that comes in and, and leads the team for a while. I don't want to spoil anything. And I, I got the sense during that time that she was conflicted. You know, like like she could kind of go either way because it seemed like she genuinely did care for him, although she continued to scheme and and that sort of thing. So that that's where I felt like she got even more depth as a character during that time because it seemed like she, you know, she straddled the fence kind of. She you know? she evolved, you know, and and then and then, yes. but it's one of those things too. It's like that whole story about the you know, the scorpion and the frog, right? It's like... Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. That that character might be the frog, and, and he's the character we all like, but it's like, at some point, the scorpion's just gotta, gotta do the sting, right? It can't, it can't help itself, you know? And the same thing with Moonstone. Like, sometimes she just can't help herself. She's gotta psychologically decimate people, you know, their brains or something, you know, like the, you know, that that's the type of person that she is. I, I really like how... Jolt immediately zeroes in on her. 
because like Moonstone was kind of like, you know, working jolt when she thought they were heroes, like into like a, you know, sort of like surrogate, like daughter figure or something. And like Jolt was trying to like, you know, Meteorite was trying to bond to her and stuff. And like, there's no like melodramatic, like Jolt, like, how could you do this to me? Jolt's like, okay, I see your, your, your game now. Like, I know who you are now. Like, there's no, you know, and then Meteorite's like, well, yeah, like I'm the one who like lied to you the most seriously. So yeah, sorry about that. Like kiddo, like. I'm going to beat myself up later if I don't mention also that one of the other big hooks for me getting into this was the presence of Beetle. He was always one of my favorite Spider-Man villains, or at least I think of him as a Spider-Man villain. I think he actually started out in, like, I don't know, Daredevil or something, but I always he think of him as a strange tales. Yeah, he's like a human torch villain. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> yeah, a human torch. Yeah, that's right. The, the section cut version, right? I discovered him in, it was it was an issue of Spectacular with Roger Stern. I, was, I want to say it's like 49 or something like that in a story called Beatlemania and it just hooked me right from the get-go so he's always been one of my favorite Marvel villains and so I, I enjoyed him in this although I never really cared for his costume until he eventually adopts an armor like way later down the series that kind of resembles it's it's like a it's like a steroided version of, of his original Beetle costume that I really liked that and my son used to have I think it was a Marvel Legends figure that they put oh, up. Oh yeah 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 really cool also i would just make note of you know derek you mentioned atlas and the fact that he you know in quotation stayed loyal to zemo and i think that's kind of cool because i think it really plays with his his personality a little bit and it goes to what we were saying before about them being you know three-dimensional because he is the by far the, you know the least confident and the most easily manipulated of the group i mean i go back to and i think you guys hit on this in an earlier history one when he fought luke cage for the name power man, power man uh, yeah. back in you know in, in the power man comic way way back when because he had such insecurity that he had to have ownership of that name so it kind of plays through that that he'd be the one who'd be the most easily manipulated by zemo yeah yeah and they have a sense of sort of loyalty too i think because he he was one of, I think, his father's soldiers, and they have that shared history. Like, I kind of like that moment. I know it's probably not politically correct or anything, but I, I do like that moment where Zemo plays on... Like, Zemo's not stupid. He knows he knows what Eric wants. Like, he, he says, he's like, once the world is subjugated, he can have anything he chooses, even the Reardon woman, if he still wants her. You know, and it's like, he knows that, that he, you know, he, he knows he caught him him you know sending her like a little love telegram so he knows like deep down that's something that he desires and he's trying to say look man like we, we can still get that like it just you just got to stick with me and i'll hook you up you know and he has that that it's it's nicely drawn and there's no thought balloon or anything like that but you see that kind of furrowed brow where he's kind of like i never thought of that like Maybe Zemo can hook me up. I, I, it, like, I think he thought all hope was lost, but now he's like, and even though maybe to some people it's icky and creepy and whatever, but in his own head, he's kind of like, well, maybe, maybe there still can be some, some good that comes of this. Maybe I can have my cake and eat it too. And he's, he considers that for a moment. And like, like you guys are saying, I think it's a really nice human moment and a dimensional moment where, you know, somebody can, you know, side with Zemo, but also still want to, you know, have have his cake and eat it too with with the the girl he's super into. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a good. I think it's a good point, and you know, I think it's 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 well run. Well, Kurt, Kurt Busiek, I think, is one of the more enjoyable writers of that era. You know, so I, I think he oh, got definitely. a good grasp on what he was doing. He also had he 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 was one of the writers that I always enjoyed because he had a uh, respect for the history of the characters. Yep. Oh yeah. Like there's, it's just all over this issue. Like, you know, it was funny. I was looking up cause, cause you know, like Carnelia is like a fictional Marvel, like Slavic country or something like that, that they can just use. And, and it's kind of a throwaway thing where they, you know, Zemo has the, the missiles they launch explode in their country. But then I, I was just like, what? I'm like, did they, you know, what else did they do with, with that country? You know? And it's like, okay, it was in Iron Man, but you, you know, what was funny was I was going to tell Mike, I, I looked it up and I'm like, Carnelia is one of the ones that's like didn't recognize Krakoa as a sovereign nation in like the new the new X-Men books too so it's still kind of like a dunce country even even now in the comics right they're like fire the missiles at Krakoa and the yeah. missiles explode again <laughs> yeah, again yeah pretty much right yeah <laughs> like Magneto, that's, that's Magneto like in the silos yeah I also I was going to bring up to you, Derek, do you remember we were talking about in earlier issues how like we were unsure if Busick had a plan, like a, a, a like steady plan about what Zemo wanted, like the Avengers files for like where, you know, for the first like six or seven issues, he was like, we must have the Avengers files or whatever. And then when they finally get them. Like, Zemo's kind of like, oh, like, I never really wanted the files. It just was, like, a, a sign of, like, you know, trust. Like, like why? I knew once they gave us the files, we had their complete trust and whatever. But, like, now now it, it it's kind of like, I feel like in that scene where Zemo and Techno are talking with each other, Busick is trying to reinforce the importance of those, like, the files and the security clearance. Where he's like, oh, yeah, we use the security clearance to, like, piggyback into like you know all the government systems and that's how we like hit everyone with the bio modem so like i i feel like busick was like oh yeah i better like reinforce this plot point a bit more and they they do seem to have that back and forth with one another like zemo and techno where you know zemo is kind of patting himself on the back and then techno's kind of like well actually it was it was my foresight that and he's like yes yes whatever whatever we we we, we you know We've we've mind controlled everybody. Who cares whose foresight it was? You know, like when they're they're kind of, I guess, trying to pat each other on the back, but then they they both kind of want to take credit for their their perceived genius and everything. And that you know that that also seems sort of reasonable. You know, and there's there, there there's also weird stuff in this. Like you know how we were talking about what is like techno seems to be so in love with his, I guess. robotic body and everything but then there there is that moment where he's kind of like maybe i'll take songbird as my prize you know like and he 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 has that weird line where he says well even though my body's not human like that doesn't have to stop us from you know and 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 he doesn't exactly finish what he's thinking but you you kind of know what he's thinking and it's like so so there's that weird aspect where you know I, i think i pontificated that at one point where i was like does you know does he just you know, I thought maybe he was asexual or something like he just didn't care. And he, he was more about, you know, the power and the abilities that he had. But it, it also seems like he hasn't abandoned, you know, that kind of sexual drive or instinct, even though, like, he's a essentially like a, a robot. Right. Like, so that's that's kind of um, weird. You know, I mean, uh, just to kind of go into the psychology of that, they say I, you know, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I always have read that like sexual crimes of that nature are less about your libido and more about power. Mm. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that, that could be part of his motivation too. If you, if you're, you know, really going to start trying to dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Cause the, cause, cause he, he seems to revel in the abilities his new body has. So why wouldn't he want to, you know, continue that train of thought regardless of whether he got any, I guess, personal, I guess the personal gratification you're talking about is something, you know, kind of sick and mentally twisted as opposed to, as opposed to physical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we mentioned it in the last episode or when we talked about issue 10, but man, like Robo Techno is such a good design. Like we kind of like, I I think both me and you, Derek were saying how we'd like a Marvel legend of that. Like, yeah. Like, but I, I feel like they would make human techno slash fixer mm. before they made robo techno. So, but I also, the, the other thing I wanted to bring up was I like how Zemo is not Beast Wars Mega or, or Beast Machines era Megatron. Cause he's like, you know, I don't want to rule over a planet of like automatons. Oh or, yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, in Beast Machines, Megatron takes over the whole planet and all he has are, you know, the Viacon drones like over the planet. And you're like, what's the point, dude? Like you're ruling over a planet of like, you know, mindless zombies. Like I don't get it. Like, but Zemo pretty much says like of course like i don't want to enslave everyone with the bio modem like what good is it if they don't know they've been conquered like you know so he talks about he wants to he wants to break their spirits and then that that's when jolt kind of has the realization that this is this is fun for him you know like he he's giddy about it you know that's that's kind of why they're like you know he's like come film me i will i will give a speech you know like he like he's 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 having a good time you know uh, techno acting is like Google Translate for him. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so he can broadcast this message in all languages all around the world. Although I feel like maybe in some languages where like it doesn't quite translate well, so it's like gibberish to some people or, or just like really poor, broken like version of their language. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the you've got the one guy, well the pages aren't numbered, but I'm looking at it on a on a CBR scan of it. It's page seven. The guy <laughs> Zemo's talking on TV, and he's just going, "Okay, okay, like what the, what the fuck?" <laughs> uh, no Habla Zemo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 will not be saying "I Carumba" like everybody will be incessantly in the the next issue we're going to end up talking about. And they should have like cut to Japan, and someone could have been like Nani. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm curious. You know, I, I expressed my one negative about the book was you know I, I thought it was a little overly angular in the way it was drawn. I'm just curious if you guys you know wait, what you think of the artwork, and please feel free to disagree if you like. No, I I, I mean I I can understand what you're saying. Like you know I I think listening to your guys' show over the years has made me appreciate, and then even even. I guess, commissioning and, and buying art and all that other kind of stuff, like how different different combinations of people can, can you know, accentuate or, you know, uh, maybe even, w- w- I, I can't think of a nice way to put this, but, you know, make something look, look, yeah, detract, like, just make it look not as good. And I mean, I, I completely see what you're saying, because, like, when, when you look at that splash page, like, you know, man does, uh, you know, Captain America's chest look like kind of like, you know, it's this whole trapezoid looking thing. Like I could see what you're getting at. Like it doesn't, to me, it doesn't detract from the essence of what the page is trying to establish. Like you get that all the, you know, 
the the Thunderbolts characters either have that surprised, shocked, and or relieved, happy, you know, look on their face as they bust through the door, and and you just see that it's this money shot of all these like cool heroes. But at the same time, I can I can see what you're saying that that some of the inking comes off, or at least it it over accentuates like kind of like that angular style to things and you know i mean that but i mean i i think the thing about this is a lot of this you know whether it's the positivity for the writing of the title or the art i mean i'm always happy with something that okay somebody has a style but you know what's great is there's still a bunch of awesome backgrounds like you know when you're in space you know when you're on the satellite you know when they're you know in a, a building on earth you know, like at, at home, you know, watching the TV set or something like that. And you know when, you know, the people are shocked and surprised and everything like that. So it's like, as long as, for me, like, I, I, I'm, I'm usually very kind to stylistic choices, whether it comes from an inker or a, a penciler. But as long as I think I can follow the storytelling and the structure of everything and and i think in this case i definitely can i mean even even back here i think you know combining Busick's script with with Begley's storytelling like i think you know the splashes work the 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 scene where you know moonstones you know charging at the you know the techno's blast and everything i mean that's all that's all done very, the you know, in, in terms of storytelling, it, it makes everything exciting and basically it's well-timed and everything, like the way that that countdown, you know, it's a five, four, three, two, one, kaboom, double page splash, you know, like, so it's like that, that whole thing, like really, you know, the storytelling of it works for me and for, you know, for me, for the most part, like if there's a few stylistic things, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe Thor's bicep could have been a little smoother, but I'm not, you know, to me, it's not like, that's not the end of the world. Man, that, that meteorite scene might be like the, like for me, at least like the standout scene in the book, because like, like not like you, not only like, you know, is meteorite the least like, you know, likely to like turn on Zemo for like, you know, altruistic purposes, but you know, she just wants to get at him to like kill him. Like she just like, she freaking hates him. Like, and like that scene, like, I love the layout of it. I love, you know, I, I think, you know, the colors, Bagley's lines, like the inks, like they all work beautifully. And even the letters, like, you know, when she's like getting like, you know, like seared by that blast, like, you know, the when her words are getting all distorted. Like, I love that. Like, and I love the writing, too, where, you know, Techno calls her toast. And she's like, did you ever have toast? Like, you know, come and pop your head off like a bottle cap, like techno like you miserable little puke like like it's great like i i love that scene i i kind of like and this this almost has nothing to do with the art it's all this kind of claremontian you know prose or whatever but i i do love in that panel where he says involuntarily zemo takes a step back she might make it after all she's still advancing slower than ever but only inches away you know and it gives you that idea that even though, you know, Zemo's kind of steadfast in the few panels before, you know, that, that for that brief moment, she gets close enough that he's got a little, you know, he blinks just a little bit, even though you don't necessarily see it in the art. So it's, I, I think that's a nice touch to the the story as well. I was just going to say, it's, it's, I think the storytelling 
thing as far as the artwork goes is is really good. The layouts I think are fine. I just I just feel like you know Bagley is a little angular to begin with, which I usually appreciate. But in this instance, I feel like the inking overemphasized that. Yeah, that's that was really criticism of it. Yeah, no, no, and I I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I I can see what you're saying. Like that it's it's definitely doubling down on it, right? Like it's it's it, if if you found that to be distracting to begin with, then this pairing makes it overdone, right? Exactly. I, I think it's probably just, a, you know, just, and, and the anchor might be fine. I just think it might be the wrong combination is my thought process. And we've, you know, in, we've seen in some cases in Back to the Bins where we've seen artwork that we thought, oh, this looks horrible. You know, how did they draw this? And then we've gone back and found on the internet copies of the uninked pencils and thought, wow, that looks nice. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've become, I think, in general, uh, a lot more critical of inking than we have of penciling in well, many cases now. It, it's going to happen again here because I, I did a little bit of looking into this because I, I like you, I was kind of struck actually by not so. I, I mean, I don't think the art's terrible or anything, but I was struck by the angularity and the the inconsistency throughout the book because I love that page where meteorite. Or, or Moonstone, whichever you prefer, is attacking Zemo. That is beautiful. And that, to me, is classic Bagley. Now, I'm quite the Bagley fan. I really like his work a lot. But then you flip the page to the two-page splash of the Avengers coming in, and while it's identifiably Bagley, it's also, some of it's really wonky. Like, Iron Man and Thor look really weird and, and angular and just kind of off to me and so i was trying to remember my bagley timeline and i was thinking well this must be early in his career and it's actually not this is well after his entire run on amazing spider-man that lasted several years and has some really phenomenal stuff in there like what's his name carnage versus venom right right you know the the parents coming you know peter's parents coming back all that great stuff it's smack in between, you know, Thunder. his run on Thunderbolts is smack in between his run on Amazing Spider-Man and then eventually Ultimate Spider-Man, which is also beautiful artwork as well. So I was trying to figure out, like, what what's going on here? And I don't know if you guys have quick access to other issues or not, but I, I jumped ahead to where this inker is now off the book. And this inker is, oh, I've lost it here. Let me flip back. Vince Russell, who I'm not at all familiar with, but come issue 13, the inker changes. Now Bagley stays on the book, but the inker changes to Scott Hanna. Yeah, which is which is instantly better, right? Like it, that's... Yeah, it instantly addresses all the issues that I have. And I think that Paul has as well with this R, it's, he smooths it out, he rounds it out. Mm -hmm. And that is some really beautiful stuff that, to me, is much more like, okay, this is the Bagley I'm used to. So I think it's just a matter of, of the inker, you know, his, 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 this must be his style is, is kind of being overlaid onto Bagley. And I don't think it's bad. I, I wouldn't say it's horrible or anything. It's just, yeah, it's, it was a little bit jarring just because it is so very different than i'm used to seeing from from bagley on his own or bagley with you know with other inkers so 
Yeah, I, I had placed it, you know, mentally I had placed it much earlier in his career than it actually is because I, I thought it looked a, a, kind of rough and a little bit amateurish just because of the angularity. But I really think it's this Vince Russell. I, I looked at his stuff to his, his resume up to here and he didn't have a whole lot before he got to Thunderbolts and what's listed here on Mike's Amazing World. I'm not really you know, I, I can't mentally recall what the art looks like in any of these books. So I'm just guessing this is this guy's style, which I mean, it, it's OK for what it is. And some, you know, again, some of the panels and some of the pages are really, really nice. But then there's other ones that just look a little off, a little wonky. So and it, it yeah. might be kind of what Paul was saying. Like, I think maybe Scott Hanna and Mark Bagley are like, you know the peanut butter and chocolate, you know, it's like, you're like, yeah, this right. is, this is awesome. And you know, maybe this right. is, maybe this is a little weird. It's like, you know, when, when you get that marmalade on your toast and you're like marmalade, what, you know, like, so, you know, yeah. Some people love marmalade. Well, the, the, I'm, I'm just speaking for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, immediately I, before he came to Thunderbolts, again, according to Mike's Amazing World, Vince Russell was inking on, I forget who the penciler was, but it says here he inked a couple issues of Doom 2099. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that was Jeff Lafferty. And uh, wow, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but you talk about ugly and angular it's yeah that's I, I remember i think when you were doing your read through of it i mean i've read i've read doom 2099 <laughs> but i you know i have fond memories of all the pat broderick stuff but i i, I yes. saw you you got like super deep into it and i was like well yeah uh, yeah yeah i'm like sorry buddy it gets pretty shitty after that <laughs> it does i mean the, the writing stayed you know okay yeah, but yeah. yeah the art went completely yeah, to yeah. crap at the end of that series un unfortunately and uh yeah um this guy russell was the was the inker on that stuff so yeah, yeah. i'm thinking he's just you know again that might be his his you know actual style but you know if he's if he's coming off of that book right into thunderbolts then i imagine he's bringing a little bit of that with him <laughs> So I think that explains a little, at least a little bit of the, you know, some of the awkwardness with this one. But I still love it, though. I still I still think it's really nice. Yeah, this is this is one of the, you know, sort of penultimate climax issues and everything. Like, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. You have any any last thoughts, Paul or Mike? Just I, I agree that I, I really like this issue. I really enjoyed rereading it. And I was, you know, happily surprised that I didn't remember the twist at the end because that made it, you know, that much more fun to, yeah, yeah. to get there again it gives you that double double case of whiplash or whatever yeah yeah like i like i said i, I i've got a sentimental love for this issue beyond like it's it's qual it's general quality and like yeah like uh, just reading it as a kid like that last page i was like oh my god like how, how are they gonna get out of this one you know like as, as a you know 12 year old kid so like I, I, I captured I, I even though I know how they get out of this one when I reread it, I was kind of like, oh, no, like, how are they going to get out of this one? Yeah, you you kind of you you uh, after a while, in certain cases, you read as many comics as we do, you know, you get numb to it. So it's nice to have that that kind of sentimental one where whether it's like a an awesome, you know, climax conclusion like what happens next issue or you know something that just kind of struck you just the right way at the right age the right time so that's that's really cool 
Oh yeah, and the, now, the one. Correct last... me if I'm wrong, but oh, during this time, didn't didn't Busick's you know the issues that he wrote didn't most of them end with like a really good cliffhanger zinger? I, at, I at think so. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, he's I think, great at that. Yeah, I think all all of these, and then even the you know, I think now he's starting to write Avengers as well in this time frame. So there's yeah, there's all a lot of good stuff. The one last thing I'll say about it is just to spoil something about the next issue. It's like when the next issue opens, Zemo and the like brainwashed Avengers and Fantastic Four are just all kind of standing around surrounding like the remaining Thunderbolts. But like, I love how this issue, like the final panel is like Zemo, like posing dramatically as they all charge like in, <laughs> like, you know, see, I'm mine. And it's like, you know, they all rushed in to wait, basically. <laughs> like they all, you know, stopped short. They were like, whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, they've got that movie serial thing where they show the guy blowing up, but they neglected to show you him, you know, jumping out the back seat before everything went to hell. He didn't get out of the cock of duty car. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick little break. We're going to play a trailer promo and then we'll be right back to discuss a historically relevant issue to this issue of Thunderbolts. So. Stay tuned. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, Sorry. Sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Oh, oh. Ah, ah. Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover and who might stop by. So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga. Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Scrawl War, and oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? Hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. All right, so we are back from that awesome commercial break, and we are here in the back half to discuss a historically relevant issue to Thunderbolts. And a, a lot of the times we'll cover appearances of Thunderbolts characters back when they were villains or, you know, uh, a related issue, you know, maybe a guest appearance or something like that. I think I, I was trying to use my, my wonderful foresight and I figured there is a, a reference to a moment in the beginning of the issue that deals with the 
nation of Santa Rico. And so I figured what better thing to do than to take a look at the short story that covers the original appearance of Santa Rico in the Marvel Universe. So that is the story from Tales to Astonish, issue 54. It's titled No Place to Hide. The cover price was a whopping 12 cents, so we could get like two of these and Professor Allen would be okay with us buying multiples. It is written by Stan Lee. The artist is Don Heck. And I'll just kind of go into the synopsis, which will probably take longer to, to actually have me read out than it would for you to read the issue, but here we go. Giant Man watches the Huntley Brinkley report and learns the nation of Santa Rico has just elected El Toro as their new president. The report notes that although the nation of Santa Rico is a democratic nation, the communist-backed El Toro won by a landslide. Giant Man is interrupted by the Wasp, who turns off the TV and demands that they plan a vacation. When Giant Man explains this is no time for vacation plans, Wasp provokes a brief tussle between the two. She's like breaking his beakers and all kinds of shit. Although Giant Man is the victor in their physical tussle, the Wasp continues to use reverse psychology to try and get her way. Later that day, Giant Man is bombarded by an unexpected visit from their fan club. Despite the Wasp using their fan club as some sort of payback for losing the earlier argument, Giant Man then gets a phone call from Washington, D.C., asking them both for assistance. Although the insistent fan club members wait outside of his lab, Giant Man and Wasp elude them by shrinking down to ant size to leave via the front door. In Washington, the military asks the pair to go to Santa Rico to find proof that El Toro rigged the election. Accepting the mission, the two heroes travel to Santa Rico in their civilian guises of Henry Pym and Janet Van Dyne. When they arrive, Pym asks Janet to hide their size-changing capsules in her purse. They soon gain the attention of the secret police who find their activity suspicious and report it to El Toro. Toro figures the two to be American spies and orders his men to capture them. The soldiers grab Janet first, but not before she passes Henry a growth capsule. Although Henry is transformed into Giant Man, he still fails to stop the soldiers from taking Janet away because he is knocked over by El Toro. Struggling to his feet, Giant Man vows to rescue Janet. However, Giant Man finds himself an easy target while he is stuck at giant size. After tripping over a local fruit stand, Giant Man gets away from El Toro's guards by hitching a ride on a train. Returning to the city at night, Giant Man has the local ants track down Janet's location. Giant Man water skis to Janet's rescue on two speedboats. After freeing the Wasp, the two heroes shrink to ant size and hitch a ride on the guard's shoulders. Once Giant Man and Wasp arrive in El Toro's office, El Toro attacks them. Giant Man easily defeats El Toro and finds proof the election was rigged by communist backers. Once Giant Man reveals the truth to the people, they dispose of El Toro and plan to have a new election. When the pair return to America, Giant Man and the Wasp are congratulated for freeing Santa Rico from communist tyranny. After their tumultuous adventure, Giant Man has had enough of traveling. However, the Wasp is still trying to decide where they should go for their next vacation. And that is the end of this, I think, like 13 page story. I 
told everybody just read the first one because basically this is this is the reference in the beginning of Thunderbolts 11 when they have the brief sequence in Santa Rico and if you wanted to know what the hell Kurt Busiek was referencing and all the cool early Silver Age kind of wacky Marvel stuff this is this is what you'd want to read so I figured it'd be fun to take a look at this I mean you know there's lots of people saying I Carumba and uh, my main takeaway from this is El Toro is like the South American hammerhead. He's like, you know, running around trying to headbutt people all the time. Or the rhino. Yeah. Or, or the rhino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and then, and then I think my, my other main takeaway is kind of my, always my main takeaway, especially when I watch all those old Marvel superheroes cartoons where, you know, again, I know it's not politically correct, but I'm just kind of like, you know, Janet. <clears throat> I, I can see why somebody would be driven to uh, to be driven crazy by uh, having Janet as their girlfriend all that time. So mm -hmm. I think it would drive me crazy, too. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. But, yeah, you know, I don't know. This is this is what it is. I mean, I, I, I think I think maybe like if they made like, you, you know, how they have like the Adam West Batman and his bat trunks and he's ski, you know, he's doing the surfing and everything like that. Like if they made like something like where like n now I kind of want to take my giant man figure and find some speed boats and have them like water ski because I think that's kind of cool. But yeah, that's, you know, I just thought it was kind of fun, fun stuff. But, uh, you know, it's it's a little goofy, I guess. We know that it doesn't work that way, right? You don't just put your foot in the boat and, and it's just going to go. It's like, well, you, also... you, turn on the engine, turn on the engine, now get out. I mean, hmm. through the whole story, I kept going, what size is he supposed to be? But it was really that panel of him straddling the two boats that made me realize he's a lot taller than 12 feet right there. Which yeah. is the yeah. only size that they identified for him. Was right. 12 feet. So, right. And, and, the, and once he, once he took the pill over there, he wasn't able to change sizes until he got them back from Janet. And right. the artwork is very inconsistent as far as his size. Yep. But this is this is more indicative of of Stan's "Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party?" stage. Yeah, right. He, he he really he really went with this in the in the sixty early sixties. Uh, I think every oh, yeah. every you know Iron Man, Thor, now Giant Man, Captain America. I think they all fought communist baddies. So I I've been on a Marvel read through from the beginning from you know from Fantastic Four number one for a couple of years now you know slowly trying to make my way through the Marvel universe and when I first started reading it I was intent to read pretty much everything you know I I, I discounted very few titles because I, I wanted to kind of do like an authoritative read through so I read through these issues of tales to astonish with with ant-man and they were easily some of the the hardest issues for me to get through because most of them were not even as good as this story, right, right which is not really good at all yeah but, i mean most of them were much worse than this they were just they're such groaners and the the biggest problem was that in the beginning when he was ant-man most of them were, were pretty ridiculous because he would just be Ant-Man all the time. So even when there were like regular things that he should just be normal sized to do, he was stuck at ant size. So then he made things more difficult for himself. Like there was a part <laughs> where he decides to go out like, I don't know, shopping or something. 
He's walking down the streets to New York and just about getting mushed by every pedestrian there is. And I'm thinking, dude, just grow back to regular size and, and the problem's over. So eventually Stan gave, gave him this other ability where he could now grow to giant man size. Well, then he stays giant man all the time. And then he's just a big doofus that's clumsy <laughs> and awkward and crashing into everything like he is in this issue. So, I'm like, I'm sorry, I've murdered your business of fruit stands. Like, please carry on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> right. is, isn't there but, uh, a period like not to interrupt? I just wanted to get this out before I forget. Isn't there a period where Hank's like stuck at like twelve foot height for a while? Like and that like happens he, in the and, Avengers. Yeah, and he like he like thinks he's yeah. like he's like, How could you ever love a freak like me? Like I'm twelve feet tall. <laughs> 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 uh. Well, not you, long you, ago you on, on our show. I'm not sure if the episode's gone up yet. I, I think it has, but uh I was lamenting as I often do the the death of the footnote in comics you know modern comics i i can't remember the last time i read a a current like modern comic that had a footnote in it sometimes for things that are happening like concurrently with other titles in the universe it just kind of makes me nuts so i really liked you know like in the issue we just read the thunderbolts where there was this footnote even though it was kind of a minor thing it doesn't you know you don't really have to go back and reference this i just like that it's there and, and Busick was kind of the king of that he he was a uh, you know really embraced the history of of the characters and the books and everything i mean if you ever read avengers forever that thing yeah is chock full of footnotes at the back of the book for everything that gets referenced in each issue. And I, I love stuff like that. That's how you discover the the wider universe that these characters are operating in. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I went on quite the, the complaint rant about that in one of our recent recordings. But yeah, I really do lament the the loss of the footnote. I, I think they serve a really useful purpose. I, I love those those notes, the index at the end of Avengers Forever. I, I even remember, like, I think when they, they finally started collecting those into trades, like, my concern wasn't whether they had collected the 12 issues into trades. My concern was, like, are the are the indexes, are the indices, like, are those in the back as well? Because I'm not buying it if it doesn't have those, because those are great. I would also just, you know, this this was, it was a little bit of a groaner to read, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it was, it was kind of cool because I had recently, or by recently, within, like, say, the last two years, been doing a West Coast Avengers read-through. Mm. And they have a little run there where, where the subpar villains of Giant Man kind of get together and, and <laughs> fight the, the West Coast Avengers. And El Toro is one of them. So it's kind of cool to, to now see where that came from because I honestly had no memory of this book at all. I just find it funny like how heavy-handed some of Stan's writing is in this thing. Yeah, I know that actually happened in West Coast Avengers, but the way you describe it, it's almost like they had a, you know, instead of the Superman revenge squad, like they had a, a giant man revenge squad, you know? <laughs> and they're like, all, <laughs> yeah. they're all sticking their knives into the table, but it's like a poor little ant or something, you know? Egg, like, egghead, yeah, porcupine, the, yeah, the El Le Toro. The Legion. The Legion of Lame Ass Giant Man villains. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't like a good villain in the bunch, and I think it was, it, it wasn't the best run of West Coast Avengers at that point. But I think it was an effort to somehow rehabilitate these villains, and not no, <laughs> just, it just didn't work. 
You know what? I, I am glad that they eventually made it so, like, Giant Man and Wasp could change size without having to take the pill or whatever. Because, like, how tedious. Like, it's like, oh, man, he has to take a pill to shrink. He has to take a pill to go back to normal size. He has to take a pill to go to giant size. Like, how, like, they, eventually, you know, someone must have said, like, you know, get rid of this pill stuff. Like, if they can change size. End of story. Well, plus, I mean, your digestion doesn't work that fast either. So it'd be like they pop a pill and instantly it happens. It's like, no, you know, you have to digest. And all, at least I assume. I don't know. It was always kind of really silly. Well, to it's got to actually enter your, you know, your body's physiology somehow. Right. No, I, I don't think it's you know it's in your mouth and all of a sudden whoop you blow up i mean it just seems kind of stupid that way it, ju it just reminds me of that like adam west batman episode where uh uh <laughs> like robin's like are you sure you didn't hit your head like too hard batman and batman's like i'm perfectly fine robin here swallow this pill like immediately <laughs> like, <laughs> like okay like that's <laughs> like giant man and wasp is like you know i'm perfectly fine jan here swallow this pill this unmarked pill <laughs> So what would happen if El Toro met the uh, the Matador from Daredevil? Oh boy, that that would be good actually, right? Like that would that, people would pay to see it, right? It would be a, <laughs> right. a, a tournament, right? Would they though? <laughs> hey, if they could do uh, if they could do uh, what's her face roulette with the JSA, like maybe maybe it could be a DC Marvel crossover where. <laughs> that pulls all those guys together to just viciously kill one another. I mean, it's not it's not so much that you're entertained by the two of them being there. It's the fact that one of them is going to, like, brutally get killed, like, Walking right. Dead style by the end of it, you know? <laughs> it's just like, look, the, the Battle of the Morts to the death, you know? That's Battle the... of the Morts. That needs to be a book, man. Uh, uh... That needs to be an ongoing title. I, I would buy the hell out of that. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe someone will remember this. But doesn't Busick reference this country and the like, the statue again, like in a JLA Avengers? Like, because like when the JLA come to like, uh, you know, the Marvel Earth, I think they see the statue, like the the giant man and wasp statue. Oh, it's been all yeah, like okay. it's been like all defaced by that point and stuff. Cause and then they're like, you know, they're kind of like, this is how the this earth like treats its heroes. Like so like I, that I don't sounds know. Sounds right. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I think like uh, music seemed to be fond of referencing this story. So it must have it must have been one of his like special stories probably or something, maybe. As, as as funny or as amusing as that might sound to us, right? But well, just because he was fond of referencing it doesn't mean he thought it was intelligent. <laughs> he just might have thought it was fun to go at it. Yeah, 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 that's true. He's like to to Bagley, like 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 Bagley's like, are you sure you want me to draw this? And Busick's like, oh, perfectly. Swallow this pill, Bagley. Like <laughs> <laughs> swallow this pill. Uh, well, one thing I'm never going to forget is a uh, giant man water skiing on two speedboats. Like that's 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 the highlight of this issue for me. With, I think. with no driver. With with no drivers. It's like, <laughs> and going back to uh, Mike's gag, he's like, speedboats. Here you go. Take these pills. <laughs> I like how they they also rely on like the train to finish giant man off. He's like, oh, don't worry. Like we don't have to chase him anymore. He's running straight into the train. Like don't worry about it. 
Like the train's got it, bro. Well, that's the old Doctor Evil, you know. I'll just go back to my room and assume that they were killed. I'll assume the train <laughs> ran him over. Of course. I, I wasn't, as I was revisiting this story, I was like, well, I don't know how much discussion we'll get out of it, but, you know, it, it's 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 interesting because it's it's one of those footnotes, and I, I was trying to make more of an effort to specifically maybe cover some of those issues that are, are specifically referenced by footnote in, in these issues, since, like Scott was saying, if you... If you if you have that at your at your reference, if somebody's nice enough to put that in there, it's like I, I was thinking, oh well, I'm gonna try to make a better effort to 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 uh, you know include some of those issues as as the historical backups and everything. So I'm I'm still happy that 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 portion of my my podcast mandate was was achieved at any rate. Oh, I think, excellent memory, I think... by the way. I just looked it up. It's in JLA Avengers number two, page uh, fifteen. Uh, the the JLA does wind up in Santa Rico and uh-huh. sees the statue. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I just remember that because like they were trying to like they were trying to get like the JLA to see like Marvel Earth as like a shithole basically. So they were kind of like, oh look at this! <laughs> like they, they they made a statue to their heroes and then they defaced it. Like oh, so this is how they treat their heroes here. I remember they they did the reverse on that too because the Marvel heroes were at like the Flash Museum saying, what the hell, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Can't yep. how they revere them here. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Quicksilver was like, "There's a a museum dedicated to a speedster." Like, what? <laughs> what madness is this? Oh, Quicksilver's totally jelly. He's like, "I want a museum." Who could blame him? I want a museum too. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, Scott says, "Here, Paul, take this pill." It's like, "Here, take this pill." <laughs> everybody, take everybody pill. gets museums. You got a museum, and you got a museum. <laughs> The museum materializing pill. Uh, oh my god. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And I, I don't know if we'll be able to finagle this again, but maybe when we do issue issue 12, we can try to, you know, get some of you guys on to discuss the follow-up to this. If the timing uh, works to. out, I'd love to, because this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Great. Thank you guys. And and then before we all sign off, do you guys I you know, I know I know maybe it's it's conglomerated and you might have individual projects that, that you'd like to sort of pimp and promote. Like do you guys want to take a minute and let everybody know who's listening to this? Like if, if they want to check you out on other podcasts or other projects, like where they can find you? You mean we're not famous the world round that we don't even have to say? <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, if you want to play it that way, then, you know, that's, that's fine. If, if, you want to, if you want to fantasize. I'm sure there's a, sta- there's a statue of you two in some country. In, in like, Santa Rico, there's a statue where it's got your dark, podcast dark information. statue, I don't know. But... Well, Scott and I appear together along with our buddy Bill on Back to the Bins, which is on the Two True Freaks Network. That's when I, I can I have, to, I have to drag Scott kicking and screaming to the microphone. I try to do it once a week. <laughs> I also do Is It Yours, where I review movies with basically different guest hosts every time. And I am on Listen to the Prophets, which is a an index show of Deep Space Nine. We've finished Yay. recording our Deep Space Nine episodes, and now we're, we've moved on to Star Trek the Animated Series. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So people who listen to Listen to the Prophets... It's going to be a while, but we'll get there. 
Uh, as for me, I'm uh, I'm one of the two true freaks. You know, there's an entire network out there of shows that you can listen to. These days, about the only thing I'm doing on a regular basis is appearing on Back to the Bins as often as I can. But, you know, as I say, the network itself has a myriad of shows. So just about any geeky interest that you have, there's more than likely at least one show on our network for it. So come on over and give us a listen. Yeah, there's a lot of great shows. I, I listen to quite a few of them. So if you if you like listening to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, head on over to Two True Freaks. Check out any of Paul and Scott's projects. They're all really fun podcasts. I guess if anyone has any comments, questions, and concerns for us, you can reach us over at fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us over on fanholespodcast at gmail.com. You can check out the backlog of episodes over on the Blogspot. We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. You can also stream us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music. And until the next time, this will be Derek, Derek WC, Icarumba, surfing, water skiing on two, two speedboats with no people in them, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. And what I really want for Christmas is unsolicited praise for my new robot body. <laughs> <laughs> this was a lot of fun, fellas. Thank you for having us on. want to throw out there I'm, I'm sorry if i walked on anybody i'm i'm experiencing a bit of lag oh, on my okay. end okay no, 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 I, no. I don't mean to i don't want you guys thinking god what a jerk he keeps walking on everybody <laughs> it's I, that's not, what i was thinking it's <laughs> nothing we're, we're <laughs> it's nothing we're unfamiliar with yeah, yeah it's just it's, i guess it's just the way of things you know jerk oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the last thing I heard was him saying, uh, like, all the characters were really interesting. And then, like, it kind of cut out for, like, three seconds. And then I heard you say, like, despicable something. Yeah. All I heard oh, was okay. Charlie Brown's yeah. teacher. Oh, okay. I'll just, I'll just pick it up from interesting characters. Okay. Um... No, this is cool, because I, I, I did want you guys on for when the Avengers show up on this. This was always my... Uh my pipe dream or whatever so i'm i'm glad i'm living this dream we pretend to be experts on the avengers well you know <laughs> I, I i think it's cool i i'm like i'm i got people from 
Back to the Ben's Avengers Spotlight, guest starring with the uh, Thunderbolts on the Avengers, you know, so. But, I'm um, not I, an expert, but I play one on podcast. On a podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott and Paul, this is, this is Mike. Say hi, Mike. <laughs> hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> hi, Mike. <laughs> nice yeah. to meet you, Mike. Yeah, nice to meet you vocally, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so go figure it, take care of that and everything. You've already heard enough of us to hate us, though. <laughs> <laughs>